Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. I'm so embarrassed to say this, but my first date with my wife, I pulled the guitar out. I covered some John Why would you be And I'm, I'm not uh, proud uh, of I, it, but she's got a ring on her finger now, and we got two kids together, so it works. Episode 415, George Burge. These are always interesting, and I say this to George, that if I'm friends with somebody and I do this, it's either going to go great or awful, and sometimes it's both in the same episode. But the curious thing for me in these is always, what am I going to learn about these people I already know? Close, Because I would ask questions in this situation. It doesn't matter if it's Ronnie Dunn, who we're close with, or George, or I would just ask questions in this interview situation that I would never ask in real life. Because I want to be like, so, uh, growing up, your mom, what did she do? And maybe that comes, but it really doesn't. Like a lot of things. So, like, I like this one. Because, I I mean, I learned some stuff about George here. I had, like, Big parts of his life, like foundation elements that I did not know. Maybe I'm a bad friend because George and I have hung out a lot. Like we, he's open for me on the road. We've been friends. He's come to my house for like Christmas parties. Like I, I love the guy. He's the greatest guy. But I've never asked him, hey, were your parents immigrants? Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> we did not know that one at all. Crazy. So I'm glad that I learned something here because – you know, George, to most people, is still a very, very new artist. He's got a song right now called Mind on You that's, he tells us, about to be top 20. You know, and he blew up first on TikTok with the song Beer, Beer, Truck, Truck. And it's me trying to convince him, stop being embarrassed of that song. That's constantly our battle. I'm like, dude, it's a good song. I know you wrote it as kind of a joke, but it's, good. it's a great song, actually. So, I don't know. It's the story of a guy who's starting to get some success now, you know, overnight success, but he's been doing it for 15 years, been going hard, two failed record deals, quit music as far as being a performer, somehow 
yeah, okay, let me do this again. And here he is. And now he's getting his first like real shot at it. What were your thoughts after this? When you said my parents immigrated, I thought he was going to say like from Idaho. Oh. And I was about to say, oh man, we're going to have something cringeworthy here. And then when you <laughs> say where they're actually from, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I didn't even know. Which is, and I, I felt guilty. And then you hear Eddie come in later on. Eddie comes into the show, right? The podcast? A little bit. At the very, very yeah, end? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, Eddie, Eddie was coming over to the house to work out. And I was like, Eddie, you're not going to believe this. Because <laughs> Eddie has been hanging out with George even longer than I have. Because Eddie was playing golf with George before I, George was still inside of Waterloo Revival. So George Burge from Austin, Texas, he talks about that, playing on 6th Street in high school. He went viral in 2020. Just doing something goofy. He, you know, has written with Gary LaVox and Matt Stell, written for Clay Walker, Colt Ford, really good golf. He's the best golfer in town as far as musicians that play. He's the best. He won't say it. We ended up talking about it on the sports podcast. He's the best golfer. He may be the best golfer that I've ever played with that's not professional, but he doesn't act like that. He's like, oh, you did so good. <laughs> I'm like, it took me nine to get here. It only took you two. So here he is. You can follow him at George Burge on Instagram if you want to see what he looks like. Here he is, George Burge, episode 415. George was going to say something. I'd like to preface this by saying that I love George and I love you very much. And when my friends come, and I don't have many friends, not a lot of people like me, but it's either an awesome interview or an awful interview, or sometimes it goes in between because it gets so inside. And I'm, if I'm, we're going to bet this is going to be awful. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> That's a really great way to set Thank it up, you. man. Thank you. Go but ahead. that's why we're friends. What were you going to say, though, before? We, and I was like, if it's good, hold off. Oh, really? I was just going to celebrate with you because uh, it looks like at the end of the week, I'm going to have my first top 20 single. Really? Ever, man. It's uh, looking like 19 by the end of the week, man. That's I saw a, it was a, a long road since the first time I came on your show. I took a picture, and I just remembered this. And I have to go through my vacation pictures. Don't worry. I was in Italy and Paris, France and stuff. You Ever know, heard of it? Not a, not a big deal. But um, I took a picture of the first time you made the countdown and I saved it because that was super cool to me. It's not I didn't make the countdown. You did. But to see you make the countdown was, you know, a lot of freaking hard work. And it's hard work for everybody, anybody to make it in anything. So... I'm not acting like you're curing cancer, but you are. You have worked extremely hard, and I was so proud for you that I took a picture of a piece of paper that I was reading the script from when you made the countdown, and I was like, man, I'm going to keep That's this. That's my guy. Thank you, dude. Because um, it's, it's somewhere in between all these pasta noodles and Paris and stuff. But. It's kind of insane to think the road um, to your first one, right? Like I've been in Nashville for a Here while now. Just kidding. That's the penis of David. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it'd have been a lot bigger if it was mine. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I am listening. I just want to find yeah. it just to show you I'm not full of crap. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, like, it's kind of insane to think the road to the first hit or like your first song that really breaks out at radio is um, it's a long one, man. Uh, and it's been every bit of a grind, every city in America. And to see it like finally start working has been pretty insane is it been um, a bit too when it starts to work is it almost like you know you've been grinding at it but there was never an expectation of it working there was just kind of a hope that it would and the expectation was that it wouldn't work but a hope that it would that's how my mind always works like most things you go after and i'll go after everything i have no fear to lose and to fail because i do all the time 
but I don't feel like anything's going to work out. Is this insane dichotomy of like when I started, everything was like, no chances is going to work. But in my mind, I've got this irrational confidence of like, hey, you know, just keep your head down, do your thing. It's going to work eventually. And like looking back now at it, the percentage chance of it ever working, it was basically zero. And I look back at that guy and I'm like, what were you thinking even trying this? Right. And now that it is starting to work, it's almost like flipped all the way where I'm not like, I have such a hard time letting myself believe that this is going to happen all the way because I have so much scar tissue of it not happening Mm. or so much scar tissue of like not being able to break through that now that it is and I'm starting to see like lights at the end of the tunnel and things working like I have the hardest time letting myself believe like, hey, this is the one this is going to happen. Like just keep your head down, keep at it and enjoy it because it's never happened for me before. So scar tissue is an interesting way to put it because that's what it is. Like you, in in a beautiful way, it's just anything creative, right? Everybody wants to do everything creative, so everybody's trying to do it. And everybody wants it, and so it's thundering, and it is raining hard. Can you hear it, Mike? No. Okay. It scared the piss out of me. <laughs> I was in the middle of a pretty profound thought, I thought. It's it. actually pretty epic on the way that you're saying yeah. it. Um, but it's, you know, where you've been through a lot of no, 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 that you just kind of expect more no, 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 no's. And when you do start to get the yeses, it almost freaks you out a little bit. A hundred percent. It did me when I first started to have some yeses. I was like, wait. And then I would get scared to actually embrace it because I would be afraid it was going to be taken away from me. Exactly. Well, and then you get that, that exactly, right? Like you don't want to enjoy it too much because you don't know how long it lasts. Which or is it's not healthy, by the way. It's like, oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing is like, it starts to happen and you're so used to being told no, or you're so used to it not working or showing up to play a show and five people being there that when stuff starts happening, you almost get this like imposter syndrome where like, Hey, can I sustain this? Can I back this up? Do I deserve to be here? Or have I just gotten lucky and tricked a couple people into giving me a shot? And so, uh, I'm working on that every day. You'll Uh, never work it out. (laughs) But the fact that you can acknowledge it exists is a massive step. I I haven't worked it out still. I'll never work it out, but I do have the understanding of I see it for the most part when it's happening and I can't change really how I feel, but I can try to condition myself to know that it's not always real. And that's been a big, big benefit for me, but also having my wife who at times it's very uncomfortable for me, good or bad. Where she will just go like, hey, you're not actually being rational right now. Good or bad. It could be something, something good or something bad because she's not in the business. You have to have that. And, you're, you know, and your wife's not. It's been the biggest blessing for me just having somebody that can pull you to real life. And, you know, sometimes because all this stuff feels so big and it feels like such an opportunity or it feels like such a, a lucky break, you can make a mountain out of everything um, when in reality like if you take a step back and you take a breath and put it into perspective like everything's gonna be fine everything's working out like it's supposed to let it happen keep doing what got you here in the first place and enjoying the people around you and so yeah that's been a huge blessing for me having her around and i've got a really great group of core friends around me that you know we can still talk trash to each other and you know and and step outside of the industry and i think that's really important because it gives me an escape to not get completely lost in it and I think um, on my way up, I've opened for a bunch of people in town and I've gotten to know a bunch of superstars and I've seen how a bunch of people have handled fame and success differently. And I haven't 
gotten that yet, but it's given me an opportunity to see like the path that I want to take and, and how I want to treat other people and how I want to treat myself and how the people I want to surround myself with. And, um, I think, a little bit of that insecurity is good, but not too much of it. So we're, we're oh, working tons on tons of it. it. I have a wheelbarrow. <laughs> That's, I, that thunder is thundering because my insecurity is so heavy. It knows it's more than a wheelbarrow. It's a dump truck. Okay, God, it's a dump truck. I'm not telling the truth. Um, yeah, it is uh, storming like crazy here at the house now. Um, so let's let's timeline you and, and walk from childhood all the way to here in a pretty rapid way you're still you're a very much a new artist yeah to a lot of people to i would even say most people even though i've known you for a long time and some people may know you for a long time you know you're about to have your first top 20 song ever if no top 20s yet so that means there aren't a lot of people that know of you yet most people hearing my music are hearing it for the first right. time within the last two months probably. so and not not being insulting but i have to even with me i'm like I got to realize most people have no idea. Even doing my radio show every morning, I have to reset things every day because there are so many new people that are listening all the time. So I'm constantly resetting and sometimes over explaining to people that have been there a long time. And hopefully they don't get so annoyed that they tune out, but that people that are just tuning in will catch up pretty quickly. So yeah. that's what we're going to do here. Um, where were you born? Born in Austin, Texas. And did you go to school in Austin, like elementary school, middle school? Never lived anywhere else until I moved to Nashville. And it was it was actually really hard for me to leave Austin just because I had no experience anywhere else. That was like my safety net, my family, my friends, my school, like everything. I knew that city like the back of my hand and I had never really been anywhere else. Where'd you go to elementary school? I went to Highland Park Elementary School in Northwest Austin. What about uh, high school? McCallum. You went to McAllen, yeah, huh? McAllen Nights. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, I, I lived in Austin for 12 years. It's my, it's home to me still. I mean, Arkansas is home, home, but Austin's like home. I, that, that's where I spent all my young adult years, and that city really shaped me. And so you went to high school. Then when you went to college, where'd you go to college? Went to the University of Texas. Well, you never left. Like, I never left, you man. You got it your was little cocoon, blood. and you didn't want to move anywhere. I'm telling you, it's you. It's such an incredible city. I think awesome. between yes, the right. music and the food and the culture and it's like you it's just like this huge melting pot. Yes, you do have like cowboys and country and everything that makes Texas cool. But you've also got like this influence from California and New York and like, you know, all this culture. Like it was a, a really, really special city and still is to me. But uh, it's my favorite city. Yeah. In, the whole, in America. Yeah. It's amazing. It's the best. So. You did you finish college? I did. I finished college. You graduated. Yeah. How about that? You know, barely. Yeah. What were you doing musically? Uh, what stage of your life did you start to play music in front of people? So, uh, started my first band in high school, like freshman year of high school. Sixth Street is world famous for country music, and so we would play on Friday or Saturday nights, and you know, our friends would have their parents drive them to shows, like down on Sixth Street, and. Um, you were high school kids playing yeah, on Sixth Street? Yeah, it was. A, it, it, I have no idea how cool that childhood experience was until I got out and saw that that was completely not normal. But we found a place. It was a club called The Vibe at the time. I don't know what it turned into, but they were willing to let us put on shows there. And our high school friends would come out. We'd all have X's on our hands and we'd play an hour and a half set down on Sixth Street. And the other thing that was really unique uh, about that setting was we played – 90% original songs just because wow, that was the culture in young, Austin. They huh? weren't good songs, wow. but everybody 
wrote songs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we would, you know, collaborate and go over to each other's houses on the weekends and write songs and have Who garage band stuff. Um, Jason Carter played the drums, one of my best friends as a kid. Uh, Cody Cooper, who also moved to Nashville with me. Like, what, what, um, did you know from school? I guess that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. They were all, they all went to school with me. Yeah. And how so, did you guys get together? Who was the person that said, I want to start a band. I played the guitar. Like, how did it come together? Um, I was writing songs and didn't know how to play guitar. And um, I wanted like a way to kind of start putting it all together. And so um, I met some of the guys that had been like taking guitar lessons and drum lessons and asked them if they wanted to start hanging out on the weekends. And we started writing songs together and they started teaching me how to, you know, shape a few chords together. And all of a sudden we had formed a band. So did you sing? Uh, no, absolutely not. Like I go back and listen to some of that stuff and it's like, I just want to say a huge thank you to anybody that was like friends with me at that point or like came out to our shows because it was terrible. Like, it is unwatchable for me if I go back and watch those videos or whatever. But I guess you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, everybody, one question I always get is like, what was the first song you wrote? And I can remember it exactly, but I'm always like, oh, I have no idea. I can't remember. Sorry. I'm like, <laughs> that needs to never see the light of day. You what know? was it called? Forgot. You know, it's funny you bring this up. I literally. Two hours ago, I was just talking to Kane Brown, and I was like, "You ever not play a song? Like, you ever, do, you, do you cringe when you go look, listen to any of your old songs?" And I know Kane really well at this point. Kane and I, I would say Kane and I are friends even. And he was like, "I don't play my first songs." Like he goes, "I, I, no way." And I said, uh, fifty thousand bucks at a private party." And he goes, "I'm not playing." He said, "I can't. It makes me cringe." Then I got him to two hundred fifty thousand dollars and no phones could record it. And he's like, "Okay, I'll probably play." Yeah, it. I mean, yeah, but. He, you know, we were just talking about how if you don't look back at some of that stuff and you're not embarrassed, you haven't really grown enough. You should be growing throughout of your, your, your skin so much that when you look back four skins ago, four skins, that's how funny yeah. it, it should almost, it should be an embarrassing skin because I, you've gotten so much it, better. I haven't thought of it in that perspective, but that's exactly right. Like you have to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and do embarrassing things to grow, right? Otherwise you're going to be stuck too cool to try anything, too cool to write a song, too cool to put out an original song, too cool to sing it in front of people. And the first time you do that, just like anything else in the world, it's going to be embarrassing. What was that song called again, the first one? <laughs> it was called Security and it was it Well, was the name's not, not lame. Yeah, thank you, buddy. But I think that, that's a really great uh, – that's all I promise. I'm with Kane on that. It's going to be 250 grand. <laughs> and 250 <laughs> means a lot less to him than it does to me. But I mean, it's part of it, right? So in a way, I look back at that kid and I'm proud of him for like being willing to like put that out there in front of everybody. But at the same time, I look back at that kid and I hate him because it's terrible and it's everything I don't want to be anymore. So like, I think that's also a good thing because I've grown from there and, you know, I've learned how to get better at writing songs and get better at putting on a show. And and I think, you know, it's uh, it's. I'm glad all of that stuff happened, but it's definitely not stuff that I want to revisit too much. I already see a couple things repeating itself, and and I exhibit some of this too. Where with you, you're you were so naive that any fear you had, you didn't have enough fear to make you not do it because you didn't even really know what you were doing, just that you wanted to do it. Yep. And then had you known really what was going to happen. Had I known maybe what was going to happen, I don't know. Maybe we we would have done something differently. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. But even when you're talking about playing these songs with this band and not knowing how to play guitar, but you're writing songs, like you're a pretty naive guy, but you knew what you wanted to do, so you're just going to go after it and dum de dum, see what happens. Yeah, I think that's definitely been like a um, 
a recurring thing in my life is like maybe not doing enough homework and just jumping in headfirst on things that I love. And or just having the resources, away. honestly, that, that can give you great advice. Yeah. Because you're, you're, I don't want you to act like you're not an extremely hard worker in homework because you are and you can down talk yourself, but you're, you work and you tour and you, you're constantly going. But if you don't have the resources or people to really talk to that have done it or can give you advice, you kind of have to go out and create your own advice. And that is through just doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's I mean, it. That's, that's it. And you learn from it and you meet people along the way. Um, you know, I, the way that Austin music bridge to Nashville, um, was just that, you know, uh, there's a guy out of, out of Texas named Kevin Fowler, a big country artist in Texas, had some national success, but in Texas he was a legend. And I literally Googled his drummer who was producing his records and I cold called his drummer and I was like, Hey man, can I take you to coffee? He, he said no. And then how I old ended, were you then? I was probably 21. Okay. Yeah. Um, he said no. Yeah. He was like, I'm just busy whatever. And then, uh, I ended up finding a friend of his that we had that was mutual friends that I found on, um, social media and had him connect us and then ended up going and visiting the studio, getting to know him. And, uh, he agreed to cut one song on me. He said, I won't do a record. I, he said, I'll record but at one 21. Song on we, we, we skipped over a part here where you're still playing music. So you're with this band through high school. Yeah. When you graduate high school, does some of the band go off to college or do you all four stand? Yeah. Everybody went off to college and my live music career, um, took a break for four years. I would still write songs in my dorm room. Um, you didn't play for years. No, I didn't play for four years. Um, I took it off cause I, I tried to play college golf. Um, I walked on. Wow, you didn't yeah. play for a year. Did yeah. you think that was gone or did you think you were just- 100% gonna... thought it was gone. I thought that was like a fond memory of like getting to play live shows and what a cool opportunity I had as a kid to do that live music in Austin. But now I got to go to college. I got to get a job. I'm trying to make the golf team. Like that was no longer, I, that was fun, uh, but not like a realistic career for me at that point. What? Tell me about your parents. Um, they- both uh immigrated to texas um when they were like in their early 20s from um, my mom's from mozambique uh which is north of africa or north of south africa my dad's from brazil um, what yeah How do i not know this it's pretty wild i don't even know you um so they were both uh portuguese speakers in austin texas wow. uh my dad learned to speak english watching john wayne movies um and became a ranch hand pilgrim you're yeah, grounded exactly. pilgrim so if you hear my dad talk you would think he's the most redneck texan you've ever met he wears a cowboy hat he's got a big mustache like you would never in a million years and then he'll start speaking portuguese and you'll be like what the hell, you know, wow. but that was unique for me too. just like growing up um, in Austin and kind of trying to find a sense of identity because like, you know, they didn't really know a lot about music. They didn't really know a lot about sports. They, it was like, they were amazing supportive parents growing up in Austin. Um, but it was like, I was on the forefront of um, first kid in my family to go to college, you know, like how'd they uh, meet? They met, uh, they both spoke Portuguese in Austin, Texas, and their families became friends. So they met and, in Austin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So pretty wild. And so you were the first kid to go to college in your family? Yeah. I guess also too, I'm, I'm just trying to let people see and know that it's, you didn't come from this um, wealth. Well, you know, I, I never want to say like I had like a, a hard childhood. Like I had amazing parents and like I was never worried about having a roof over my head or, or being taken care of. But like it definitely wasn't 
handed to me. You know, it was. I know. Do you know it Portuguese? Was tough love. Uh, I speak a little bit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, you heard me, me speaking French last week. I, I did bon hear you oh. a little bit on the air uh-huh. last week. Uh, yeah. Je m'appelle Bobby. Yeah. And that's really all I would say is my uh, name is Bobby. Uh, my grandmother doesn't speak English. And so uh, my four years at Texas, I uh, studied Portuguese in school. And then I went and lived in Brazil for six months to try what to learn f- how to speak. What the? What is happening yeah. here? <laughs> I don't even know this guy, man. So you, like I said, I just I I love to I love to jump into stuff, man. Do you so, know Spanish pretty well then? Not as well as I know Portuguese. Yeah, I found when I was in Italy, a lot of Italian is very Spanish based. Yeah, and so there was a lot of things that I had known because all my friends in Texas were Mexican. Yeah, a couple Hispanic. All my Mexicans the same way because he spoke yeah. Portuguese. All his friends are Mexican, and there's a difference yeah. in Mexican and Hispanic. Yeah, right, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> And so there's a, being from Mexico or your parents from Mexico or just being Hispanic, you know, four or five generations down who've been. And so all my, I was the only white guy. And so I don't know Spanish, but I can tell when these idiots are talking about me. Yeah, so I had exactly. To, so I had to exactly. learn what was being said all the time. And then when we went to Italy, a lot of their, their language was based off of Spanish, or you know, the, rooted yeah. in Spanish. Yeah, but is, is Portuguese the same way? Yeah, Portuguese is like drunk Spanish. Like if if your your buddy that speaks Spanish, you know, had nine beers, that's what Portuguese sounds like. Yeah. Wow. So in your house, growing up as a kid, how how was their English at home? Did they speak English? By or the time I came around, their English was great. You'd never know either of them weren't from Texas. They sound like Texans now, mm. um, but they both learned to speak English in Texas. Yeah. You go to college. You're studying Portuguese. You're not playing music. You don't even think music's a thing, but are you? You say you're writing. Are you writing? Are you writing like poetry? Are you writing songs? I, me and an acoustic guitar, you know. Um, and it was like, it's funny. I think we all go through that like jam band college phase, like it, where it wasn't like really in a, a genre, and it's more stream of consciousness, and it's not like a structured song like it is now in Nashville with verse, chorus, bridge, and stuff. It was more just like, like you said, like a like a creative outlet, like. Poetry, country poetry, you know Would what I mean? Would you play like, yeah. for girls and stuff? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm so embarrassed to say this, but yeah, my my first date with my wife, I, I pulled the guitar out and I, I covered some John Why would you be And I'm, I'm not I, proud I, of I, it, but she's got a ring on her finger now and we got two kids together, so it works. So you say John Mayer, you played John Mayer? Yeah. What song did you play? I played Comfortable. Security? Yeah, <laughs> Security. <laughs> Man, Comfortable Jam. Yeah. One of my favorite. Incredible. Yeah, um, from Inside Wants Out, the EP. No, oh, wait a minute. Comfortable it is a six-song EP, and you know who was a big part of that was one of the guys from Zach Brown Band, Clay. Oh, yeah. Because he was part of John Mayer's duo. That whole Zach Brown Band is in talent level. Will you look up the um, John Mayer Inside Wants Out? EP. What's it, what is it? Inside Wants Out. Is that it? Look at you, man. Yeah, ah, look at me. After I said it, I was like, there's no way that can be right. Because It's a great call. That that I, I listened to that thing. I mean, I burnt the CD up. Yeah. It yeah. had Comfortable. It had a couple of the songs that ended up making the fir- his first big record. Um, and he would never play Comfortable in concert. And then finally he started playing it a little bit. It's just a songwriting clinic, man. He's, he's otherworldly talented. And he's that unique combination of like insane instrumentalist, but also insane vocalist and lyricist. Like it's, yeah. I sleep with a new girl I'm still getting used to. Yeah. I, na, 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 na. Man, it's been, I haven't, I haven't thought about that song in so long. Our love was comfortable. Our love was 
So, <clears throat> help me out here. Do you know it still or no? What it, um, I still remember the time at the, the market. market. Yeah. You walked up beside me and hopped in the shopping cart. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that song's good, man. Golly. I'm in love with you right now. <laughs> Falling more and more man, in love. love Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. And we're back on the Bobbycast. You're playing golf in college, and then, but when when does music become an actual? I don't I hate to use the word tangible, but it, it starts to be a tangible thing again that you can actually do. It was the biggest surprise. Nobody was more surprised than me that that I got to play music for a living. So, uh, finished college, got my degree. Um, I went and got a job in Austin. Um, they this company that hires a bunch of young kids fresh out of college to do you know busy work live downtown it's awesome and that was a cool culture because it was a bunch of people that were moving new to austin and i was the guy from austin so i was you know getting into all these people and taking them out and showing them the city and um i met a guy that played guitar and uh you know same thing i was like well we should you know start jamming and so once a week he'd come over to the house and we'd kind of jam together play mostly cover songs write a little bit and then um i'll never forget uh one of the guys that worked with us, his brother had just bought the lucky lounge, um, downtown Austin and redid it. And they were having an open mic. And I went and did the open mic at lucky lounge and our whole office came, which was like, oh, you played it. Why? Which was like 250 people. Cause he was, they knew that I played guitar and they're like, just hop up and play two songs. So they kind of pressured you to. Do yeah. It. And it was, I mean, I was in like khakis and a button down shirt with like you know not so okay so you didn't plan this out way way ahead of time no it was like popped up on stage that night okay so wait so when do you hear about the open mic night that day they were like hey our our buddy's brother just opened the lucky lounge he's gonna have an open night mic night tonight we're all gonna go down there will you pop up and play one so and you said i said yes yeah i said you know i still enjoyed playing like it's something that i've always loved and so i popped up and i played two songs what'd you play security Um, Gosh, I wish I could remember. Security. I hope it's security. Uh, it was probably security. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> but uh, then it was, you know, people were like, well, you should start doing shows. And, you know, a lot of the people I was working with were encouraging me to, oh, to well, they pursue gave you confidence, a little bit more, huh? which was cool. And um, so a few of us from the office started this band. We started playing and it was we play Friday or Saturday nights at the Rattle Inn in Austin. Um, and that was it. How'd Never, you get the gig? Uh, cold called him. And said, we'd yeah. like to play. Yeah. What, what What does that pay? Zero dollars. Yeah. Tips? Tip jar. Yeah. And by the end of it, they were paying us because we were starting to draw a crowd. Um, but then it became a thing. Every Friday night, we were playing the Rattle Inn and it was sold out. It wasn't a big room. It was three or 400 people. But it was kind of a cool factor of like, hey, we're selling out this club every time we play it. What was the sound? Um, At the time, were, were you guys doing covers? It was country. Oh, yeah. It was country and it was covers, but it was like 50% originals. Yeah. Um, had a steel guitar player, had a fiddle player. Um, the name and, of the band? Uh, it was called Waterloo Revival. Yeah. That's the first version yeah, of that? That's the first version of Waterloo Revival. Yeah. And uh, the cool part was we all played for free and then we split the tips at the end of the night. And uh, we we started end up getting to take a cut of the door and it got bigger and bigger. And then local radio station kind of caught on and invited us to play um, Blues on the Green. KGSR? Uh-huh. And uh, so we went out there and played that, had a huge crowd, and um, I didn't know at the time, but um, 
a big label executive and a big manager flew in to see us play and ended up pulling us aside um, after the show and uh, asked me if I wanted to fly up to Nashville to meet them. And this is all coming at me like a million miles an hour because I've never, you know, had any contact with a record label in my entire life. How do they know. know to watch your show or were they there to watch somebody else and then see you? So or? the guy that owned the radio station sent them my music. Wow. Yeah. Which was really cool. Bob? Bob Sinclair. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sent my music to Scott Borchetta and TK Kimbrell. Yeah. That's correct. I mean, it all makes sense. Now, when I start to lay it all down in my head. Yep. And that's how I know. I mean, I know Bob too. Yeah. So I gave Bob a burn CD with the one song that the producer agreed to cut on me in Austin. He was like, I'll do one song. I won't do a full record. And I will say that he put everything into it and it was the best sounding song I had at the time. But I had one song on a burn CD and I gave it to Bob and he mailed it to Nashville. That's crazy. Wow. So when you talk about like less than 1% chance of any of this stuff happening and the stars aligning like they did, um, I just like I never in a million years thought that I could play music professionally. I, I did it because I loved it and it was fun. But um, then people are talking about record deals and you need to get a lawyer and do you have a publishing deal and, you know, royalties. And I have no idea about any of this stuff. Who are they looking at, though? You obviously or were they trying to go, OK, Zach Tack, we just want Zach Morris or were they going, we want the whole Waterloo revival? Uh, they came to me uh, independently and then I had a very close friend. Um, that I wrote a lot of my songs with Cody Cooper, who was the part of Waterloo Revival with me. We were a duo. And, um, I asked if we could come to Nashville as a duo and they were on board for it. And so that's what we did. We signed yeah, as a duo to Nashville. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And that's about where I started to know you guys a little bit. Cause Eddie and I, we consider ourselves from Austin, even yeah. though Eddie's from a different part of Texas and I'm from Arkansas, we are very much Austinites like in our blood. And then you guys would come and we liked you guys and we'd be like, oh, yeah, they're from Austin. But I knew you guys had a relationship with Bob. Yeah. But I didn't know that's where all that – that is that is wild. Which is crazy because he didn't even own a country station in Austin. And Bob Sinclair, you know, owns stations all over America. You know, big, powerful radio guy. And, uh, you know, I ended up referring CD. He called me back the next day. He said, I've never called back anyone that's given me a demo before, but I think you might have something. And just from that phone call, I was like, I've made it. Like, we've done it. Like, we've taken over the world. So, I'll never forget. We were opening for Reckless Kelly the next week in Austin. And I called my wife after I got the call inviting me to open for Reckless Kelly. And at that moment in time, I was like, we are famous. We are opening for Reckless Kelly. And this is like, our lives have changed. <laughs> Little did I know, you know, what 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 the uh, what the real path looks like. That's so cool. That's such a good version of that story. I mean, that version. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. So... Wait till Eddie finds out your parents were Portuguese. Does he know this? Do you speak he Portuguese? doesn't. No. Eddie and I thought we knew George. We don't know. Does we didn't he? know George. <laughs> like we have hung out with George a lot. Like I, like we are like friend friends. But I guess we're not. That's because... what the Bobby Cast does, man. Wow. That's a deep dive. Okay, so you have to move to Nashville. So you and Cody are going to move to Nashville. You're going to keep the name. Do you guys move up? Are you roommates here? Do you live together? Yeah. So we lived together for- Were you married? uh, I was married. Yeah. Cody was dating uh, his now wife. Did all four of you guys live together? Just Cody lived with me and my wife. Got Um, it. And then uh, once he put a ring on it, his girlfriend, then fiance moved up. Good for her. Yeah. That's the right call. Right? Uh, And was that- was Because you were on a- With TK, who I know from Toby. Yeah. Toby Keith's record label- it, that wasn't a major label. So I signed with Big Machine Records. I was there for a year. 
um, and had a great experience. Uh, but at the same time they signed me, they were going through a process where they were signing a lot of, um, veteran superstars and new acts. So on my imprint, um, they had just signed Tim McGraw, Rascal Flats, Jennifer Nettles, me, the Cadillac three and Daniel Bradbury. And on that pecking order, we were the bottom. Right. And so, um, very kindly actually after the first year, because when you, I don't know how well people know this, but like when you sign a record deal, like they own your life for five years, like you're, you're there, whether they want to do something with you or not, they can shelve you. You can go to jail for five years and your music career is over. And, and one of the more generous things that anyone's ever done for me in Nashville, Scott Borchetta came to me and he's like, Hey man, like we just don't have the manpower for this right now. Um, but I don't want to hold you guys hostage. We'll let you go. And he let me go scot-free uh, after a year, which was amazing. And uh, that's when I ended up signing with Toby Keith and uh, TK and did a uh, did about five years with Toby Keith, went on tour with him, learned how to write songs from him, um, got to be, you know, pretty close with Toby. And, and when you talk about that's when he was killing, killing, selling 20, 30,000 tickets a night. And we're getting to get in front of those crowds wow. and, you know, um, and that's a whole different thing because we're coming from Austin, Texas, where we're used to playing and feeling like a big sold out show is three or 400 people. And you get put out there in front of Toby and it's like, hey, good luck. Here's a catwalk. Here's a stage that you've never seen before. And here's 30,000 people that the ones in the back can't see your face. Figure out how to entertain them. And they don't even want to see you. Yeah, it exactly. Matter, it matter they who are, you are. When you walk on stage, yes. they have their arms They're crossed. They're for you to get off stage. And they want to hate you before the, before the downbeat. And let me tell you, that was the best education I could have ever gotten in the music business. How so? Because the first 10 shows bombed. I mean, fall on your face. Nobody's clapping. Nobody cares. But you figure it out. You figure out how to, you go out there with no expectation. You know, Toby, when he walks out on stage, if he stomps his boot once, 30,000 people are going to scream at the top of their lungs. I haven't earned that right yet. So how do I go out there and set them on fire and change their predetermined attitude of this opener is not going to be worth a lick, you know? And so you have to come out with energy and you have to program the set where there's no dead spots and you have to mix in some originals with some covers that they might've heard before to make sure you're getting their attention. And I don't have $250,000 to have a pyro show before behind me or an led wall or smoke. So it's like, how, how are you going out on the catwalk? Or is there like arranged moments where you and your band are pushing forward, but like you figure out how to put on a show because this is not standing behind a microphone for an hour and a half in a bar anymore. And that was a major wake up call for me that you learned in a pretty terrifying way. So you guys uh, at, again, at this point, your Waterloo revival and we know you from that. Was it, um, did you ever have a point where you're like, I think we're going to make it as a duo. And then did you have that point where you're like, I just don't think we're going to make it as a duo. Like both of those. Yeah. Yeah. I came to Nashville when you sign a record deal, with a, with a label like Big Machine and you see the other acts on the label, right? So I'm, I'm coming to town and I'm like, oh, they got Taylor Swift and Florida Georgia Lion and Thomas Rhett and, you know, our ticket's punched. Like, this is it. You don't realize that the success rate on a new signed act is probably less than 10%. Um, I would say significantly less than 10%. Um, and, you know, you've got friends calling you from high school like, holy crap, you made it. Can I borrow money? Like, and you haven't made a dime yet. You know, you're just in town and you've got this team working behind you. But 
you don't at the time I'm like, we've signed here. This is it. They're going to do for me just what they've done for everybody else. And then you quickly realize that, you know, you go visit all these radio stations and, you know, you're playing for a programmer in a conference room that's got his arms crossed. And same with the other folks, you know, is looking for a reason not to play your song. Like you have to change their mind on why they should. And it, it was a pretty quick wake up call for me that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so then you, you kind of dig in and you start trying to get better on the songwriting and on the performing side and on the relationship side. And, um, it, I think I was naively optimistic for my first four months in town. And then it felt like, Hey, this is a long, long shot. You yeah. learned. Yeah. You yeah. Jumped into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Naivety. Yeah. And, uh, uh you, what, what was the most success you guys had as a duo? What song? Probably uh, hit the road. Our, our one that, that brought us to town. I think it was a top. I think it landed at maybe forty four on the chart. Um, we were close. We know, and we had a little bit of a cult following. We, um, you know, we we did pretty well in ticket sales nationally, and um, we had some. Uh, I had a song called "Meet Up in the Middle" that was on the season finale of the TV show Nashville. That was a pretty big deal for me when that was popping off. So you wrote um, that? Yeah, I wrote that, and then had a song um, called "The Backwood Bump" that was. Um, the national song for college football for ESPN for the year. So like we had some stuff that was like popped off pretty good, but we never like made it, made it. Most people didn't know our name. Like it was never, it never felt like we're set. And, uh, I chased that from 2014 to 20, no, 2012 where we started it. 2014 is when I moved here. And 2020 is when I finally was like, I've given this everything I have emotionally, financially, like I, there's, there's no other angle that I can think of here. And that's when I ended up asking out of my record deal was in 2020. With the idea of, I'm just going to go be solo or with the idea of, I just want to figure out what I even am. I had had some success songwriting, very mild success, but I knew that that was a passion of mine and something that I had a little bit of talent at. And so I just decided I was going to go get a publishing deal, which is when they pay you to write songs. And uh, I was going to be a songwriter. Somebody just rang a doorbell. Is that at this house? Is there? So if somebody rings the front doorbell, it rings there. Hold on, let me see what's going on here. Really? I had no idea what was going on. I'm, I'm listening to George's story and then I think George is something set up like a big balloon bouquet for top 20 song. The firemen are here. Yes. Hold on, let me go to security. Let's see. Doorbell camera. It could be. I mean, there's no reason for Amazon to ring a doorbell, though. And they do that crap sometimes. Like, whatever, oh, yeah. At like 11 p.m. Dogs go nuts. And I'm like, yeah. dude, just drop package off. It's 11 yeah. p.m. Yeah. You don't need to drop. Yeah, I feel like someone's coming to rob my house. Um, all right. I don't know who that is. But uh, they have a mask on and they're, they have, they're waving around a gun. It looks like it's it's, Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, my wife will handle that yeah, one. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just let them in. But buzz them on in, Mike. <laughs> the Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. 
Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. This is the Bobby Cast. To go from being in a duo to just, just, but a, it's a different totally. route when you're going to get a publishing deal and write songs and your livelihood depends on if you're getting cuts. Yeah. And what's that conversation like with your wife? Because you're going to, it's financially, I don't know if you're, if you're not making money doing both, it's not a big change, but you're at least, you're going in a different direction now. Absolutely. And like she, there's no chance I could have done any of this without her because she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. I mean, when I asked out of that deal, I was also like, am I going to go get my real estate license? Like, am I going to, am I starting over? Like, is this the end of music for me? And she was the one that talked me into continuing to write songs, continuing to chase it for a little bit and kind of just give it one more breath. And so I started writing songs. I put some stuff on social media. I pretty quickly got approached for a publishing deal. And that's like, it's not a huge salary, but at least I'm going to have a check coming in every month. Yes. I know that I can keep my lights on, you know? And oh, by the way, like I'm a new dad at this point. Right. So it's not just me and my wife that I'm taking care of. And so there's like definitely an added pressure to that. And like, that was a massive, it wasn't a huge check, but it was a massive weight off my shoulders to know that like I can keep the lights on and food on the table. Like that's a start. 
And uh, so I started turning in some songs to the publishing company that I had written, some stuff that I was excited about, and they're starting to pitch stuff. And pretty quickly, a month into me turning in songs, they're calling me and like, hey, like, you should consider putting some stuff out yourself. I think there's something. Are you there. cutting the demos yourself? Yeah, you singing I'm them? singing yeah. the demos. Yeah. And, um, and so I, it took, I just had a, like we talked about, like I had a little bit of scar tissue of like chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and just it not happening. And so it, I wasn't sure that that was something that I wanted to do again, especially like with my young family at home and like, you know, just kind of starting this new journey. Um, but they talked me into pu- putting some original music on social media and kind of chasing that a little bit. And uh, there had become such a buzz that all of a sudden we had started to get a lot of label attention. And, and finally, it was like, all right, I'll go take some meetings. And so I took meetings with basically everybody in town. And, um, you know, the first question I would always ask is, uh, how many artists do you have in development? And at most major labels, they would tell you they got 15 to 20 artists in development at a time. And that was from my earlier experience in town was a huge red flag to me of like, okay, I'm going to commit here for five years. And it's between me and 20 other artists that you're throwing against the wall to see what sticks. That sounds to me like another nightmare. Like, I don't want to do that. Right. And, uh, and so I ended up getting introduced to this new label, um, which is under the Sony umbrella, but is a boutique, smaller label called records. And it was run by a guy named Barry Weiss, um, who's a huge music industry veteran and broken a million, um, bands that are household names. And, uh, I go to take this meeting and it was just like, everything was different. He was like, what kind of artist do you want to be in 10 years? What, who do you want to tour with? What kind of album do you want to make? And who do you want to produce it? Like when you you know, look up in five years, what would make you proud as an artist? Like all the things that you want to hear when you're trying to build something with like some longevity that is true to who you are and not just a, you know, see if it sticks kind of thing. And so they were the first people to really get me excited. And another thing I really struggled with when I moved to town is you go sign a record deal or you go into one of these offices and they all have a vision of who you are before you open your mouth. So it's like, they know what they want you to look like. Or they what know they what need. you need. Yeah, exactly. They know the hole that yeah. you're going to fill for them and they're going to put you in that mold. And when I first got to town, I was felt so lucky to be there that I couldn't say no. You know, I'm like, well, this guy wants to invest a million dollars in breaking my band. And, and if he wants me to spike my hair and wear skinny jeans and a leather jacket, I'm going to do it. You know, and looking back now, I'm like, you're such an idiot like that was not you and that was not your sound and why why are you doing that and so this was the first time i was brave enough to say no to everybody that wanted to put me in that position and this was the first label that was like we just want to give you the resources to be exactly who you are and the artist you are and i will say like probably the thing i'm most proud of in my life behind my wife and my kids is the fact that like i bet on that and in the last 18 months my solo career is 20 times bigger than anything I've ever done in my life. Doing it true to myself, making music that I wrote that I'm proud of and not compromising on that stuff. Is that another conversation with your wife? Okay, well, now I'm going to go back and do <laughs> yeah, what absolutely. I was doing before. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I will say that for the first time, and it wasn't like a, a light the world on fire check, but like for the first time in Nashville, like I got paid. Like I signed a record deal and I got a signing bonus and it was like, had a comma in it. Like it was, it was a start, you know? And so it was the first time she's like, okay, like there's something here. And she always believed in it. I think it was me that didn't believe that there was a way to like be successful and make money and like have longevity doing this. And, 
And until like I saw that hit my checking account, like I didn't believe it was coming. And then you see it happen. And like I said, it wasn't like a go buy a new house check, but it was a take a breath. Like yeah. this happened. You did know? Um, you have any success when you were just in the songwriting world? Did you get any cuts? I did. Yeah. Um, one of the guys that believed in me early on was Clay Walker. Um, and he was a big part of me getting the publishing deal coming out of um, coming out of my record deal. We wrote a couple songs together um, and he singled two of them, Need a Bar Sometimes um, and Catching Up With An Old Memory. And both of those were his first two top 40s in almost 10 years. So that kind of put him back on the map and, and gave me a little steam as a songwriter and a little feather in my cap. So that was, um, that was kind of like my first little bit of success as a songwriter. What was the deal with... When Beer Beer Truck Truck happened, because were you already signed to a label deal or were you just writing at the time? I was just writing at the time. I just had the publishing deal and I was actually with Clay at his house in Galveston writing for his record. And uh, I had told him that I was done with music. I told him I'm just going to be a songwriter. And he was the one that convinced me uh, to put my songs on TikTok, actually. which was, Clay Walker. Yes, the TikTok. King. Much older. <laughs> you know, he and he is all over TikTok. Yep. I don't know if he slowed down a little bit after the whole bus thing, but uh, he was, <laughs> that was all over TikTok. Right. Miss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean, what a clay Walker is like, Hey man, Hey kid, yeah. you need to get on TikTok. This is, and I, I was so anti TikTok just because I thought it was like, you know, just dances and, and pranks and stuff. And not, not that there's anything wrong with it. Just not anything that I saw myself doing. Um, and so he kind of basically the way that he put it, he's like, you can go get an Avana trailer for three years and not get in front of 2 million people, or you can post something captivating and get in front of 2 million people in 24 hours. So progressive for an older guy. Yeah. I mean, truly, I yeah. mean, we laugh at it, but it is really smart. I mean, it's probably, it's Clay 60, 55, probably up there near yeah. that. Yeah. For, for that to be happening yeah. and for him to tell you that, I mean, that's so progressive of him to be able to crazy to see that then. Yeah. And so I downloaded the app and, um, that that's where beer, beer, truck, truck came from. And for people that aren't familiar with this, it's story, so clever. Like, Don't yeah. wash over. I know you, I, and you would have this talk privately where yeah. I'm like, dude, you have to be proud of that. But I do get that. I see Eddie walking in. You can just let him in this door. Um, you do have, you have to, it's very clever. I'm going to tell the version of it that I think this yeah. girl gets on and she's like, all I ever think country songs are beer, beer, truck, truck, beer. Yeah. And you take that and you flip that around and you're like, every country song's not beer, beer, truck, truck, and tie. And it goes viral. Yeah. It was, it was my defense of country music. And, and I do struggle to like plant my flag on it just because I have worked my whole life to like be able to write a song and like, you know, have that validation and you, you can't control what like blows up for you. And I will say like, I tried to do it as artistically as I could. I did it as a defensive country music, right? She said, country music ain't nothing but beer, beer, truck, truck, and girls in tight jeans. And my flip on it was, it's not all that, right? And I tried to make it this love story of a guy that's like out in the country and being judged and everybody thinks he lives slow and this is all he does. But like, he's also a safety net for this girl that like anytime she wants to come back, like that's going to be here for her and it's not just beer, beer, truck, truck. And you so have an like- unfair relationship with the song. Thank you, man. Thank you, you for have, saying you that. You do. And I, I tell you this every three months or so where you're like, oh man, that song- because you got to see how that sausage was made and because of other ways you've seen that sausage made, you feel a certain way about that song yeah. that it's not as legitimate as it's such a clever song. You sing it wonderfully, the production it. And when you break it down and you play it just acoustic, cause we did some shows together. Yeah. It's such a good freaking song. 
but you don't have that relationship with it because of your life that yeah. you spent with it. A hundred percent. It's a, it's an insecurity for me. And it's because like when I lay down at That's night and like where, though. where I want to That would be like, like me being insecure about my huge wiener. You'd be like, <laughs> don't be insecure about that. It's your cross to bear. Yes. Right? But, and I would be like, I don't know. I'm so embarrassed. But that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, I'm unbelievably thankful for the song, for the doors that it opened for me, for the life that it's given me. Um, touring wise, record label wise, I've gotten to go in and cut an album because of this song. Like I'm in a great place and my wife gets to stay at home with her kids now. And like, and life is, is really good. And it, and it all started from that song blowing up. So I, I'm unbelievably thankful for it, but I, I think my biggest nightmare Why do you hate it? is in five years, if somebody brings up George Burge and somebody else says, Oh, the beer, beer, truck, truck guy. Is that better than George Burge who? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's also a gateway for people to listen to the rest Absolutely. of my music. Like, you got to stop being embarrassed this song. Yeah. One, it's also a good that. song. Yeah. But again, you've just associated it with your life and what's happened with TikTok on it and it being vi- in the video she made, which she was hilarious. And yeah. You also made her a songwriter on it. Which I she will made. say that was the most fulfilling part of the song. Um, I wrote it as a tongue in cheek rebuttal to this girl making fun of country music. And I DM'd her the day I wrote it and I was like, Hey, I did this. I hope you're cool with it. Um, if you want, I'd love to make you a songwriter on it because I think I'm going to put it out. She's a school teacher. She's a music school teacher, elementary school teacher outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And she ended up being super cool and saying that she grew up listening to country and gotten away from it, but was like so thankful for the opportunity and thankful to be on it as a songwriter. And so it's just me and me and her are songwriters on, on the song and she gets a check every quarter from it. So that's pretty special to you gotta me. You got to stop being yeah. embarrassed of it. If you didn't tell people that story, if you just played that song and you told none of that story about TikTok, about her, about, and you just said, I just have this song called Beer, Beer, Truck, Truck, people would go, like, that's a good song. Thank you, man. So stop being a wimp. <laughs> Fair. Embrace the fact that it's a freaking, I would, I would, I, I, it's not that I'd be like, George, this song sucks, but I would, I wouldn't be fighting for the opposite. Yeah. And I've fought this fight for I don't know a year now with you where I'm like stop being embarrassed of the song man I appreciate you more than you know for that too because I do need to hear that and you, yeah yeah okay so let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor this festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring You're talking about men's boots women's boots um, apparel hats bags and more all Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah, that's what the whole store basically is: fresh leather, yep. friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson... How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. 
Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Stu's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer, and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Welcome back to the Bobbycast. Let's smash cut. We're laying in bed together, right? <laughs> no. um, Cigarette in each hand. <laughs> so I'm on Instagram one night. Obviously, I knew you from Waterloo Revival. And you were like the Austin guys that Eddie and I knew and liked. And, yeah. But you were playing a Gary Allen song. I didn't know know you then. Uh, we'd never hung out other than like industry stuff, and we'd say hi. Oh, how's yeah. Austin? Remember that street? You know that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. And you were playing what Gary Allen song were you playing? Uh, it would be you. And I don't know why, because I don't really watch a lot of music on Instagram. And I remember sending you a message, and the message was something like, "Hey, man, that's really good. You should come play it on the show." Something like that. Yeah. And you were like, "Cool." And so you came up and you played. And you did that, and you did Mind on You. Yeah. I got my mind. You ever heard it? Mind on you, beer, beer, truck, truck. <laughs> and it crushed. Mind on you crushed. And this is forever ago now at this point, yeah. it feels like. And I don't even know what happened after that. But all I know is it was like my friend George was gone because he was now promoting. Well, I can't wait to tell you what happened after that because I remember all of this like it was yesterday because it literally changed my life. Um, I was sitting on the couch with my wife watching TV. I had posted that cover of Gary Allen and, you know, like anybody else, I'm sitting there refreshing it, seeing if anybody liked it or if it's going to do any good. And I see you comment and this is exactly what you said. Hey, this is really good. You should come on the show. And I like double take, tap my wife, pause the show. I'm like, holy crap. Like Bobby Bones just asked me to come on a show because obviously growing up in Austin, I've listened to you forever. And then we got to know each other in Nashville but I had never been on the show and it's a, it's a rite of passage in this town. And, uh, to get that invite, I was over the moon and I was so damn nervous that morning to come on the show. 
And so we get in there and play beer, beer, truck, truck. And my legs going like this while I'm playing, you know, I'm trying to keep it all together. And I'm hoping that I'm going to get to play mind on you, but this is not a single yet. I've just released it. Like, I don't know how much time or what I'm going to be asked to do. And you were like, Hey man, you want to play one more? And in my mind, I'm like, this is it. Like, this is your chance. Like, come on. So I take a deep breath. I play mind on you and you guys were amazing. Y'all hyped it up. Uh, your listeners dug into it. It, blew it up on my end and all of a sudden we start seeing like all this streaming and all this interaction and my socials go insane um and the label's like hey i think we we've got something here and so they all scramble to make that song a single mind on you we go to country radio a month and a half later i'm a brand new artist on a startup label with my only other song out is beer beer truck truck and it was the most added song in america at country radio that's pretty crazy. That's insane, man. It's almost like you were playing a radio music festival and there was a random person in the crowd who flew in because a random person sent them a one-song CD. That's it. Everything that's ever happened in my life so far to get to here, like the odds of it are – when I look back, I'm like, how did you ever bet on that? Or how did you ever think that was going to work? Or how did you – blindly believe and bring your wife and your kids along for all of this. Like I almost get embarrassed looking at it that like this kid believed that was going to happen. And me knowing what I know now about this industry, like how did you ever think that? But it's just somehow it's uh, the stars have aligned thus far and who knows what's happened, what's coming. But like it, it feels, it feels pretty special. See, this is where I think we disagree a little bit. I don't know that the stars have aligned. I think you would have aligned the stars regardless had it been attempt 300 or 1769 or six, you know, and there's a way you can look at it and go, well, I got very lucky this happened and very lucky this happened. Or if you're just in there swinging blindly, you swing enough, you fill up the room with enough punches, eventually you're going to hit something. Yeah. You know, and it's just some people get pretty fortunate and hit it on their sixth. Some people, they're 1100th. And, but you're that guy who it ain't luck. When it happens four or five or six times, it's tenacity. It's and we've used the word naive, but it's all. It, I would remove it from this. It's belief that if you just do the little things right, the right things can happen. Not will, but can. And so, as we talk, and it's you know with Bob and the one song and the cage. That stuff doesn't happen if you're not already out there in a place for you to be seen or discovered or to be heard. It's not as if you're walking down the street, someone grabbed you by the collar and said, you look like you can sing, sing into this microphone. <laughs> like that didn't happen. And I think that a guy like yourself can be so humble that you can also start to believe that story of, I've just been very lucky. You have been fortunate that it has lined up the way it has, but I truly believe that it was going to line up regardless in some way, because that is the kind of person that you are. And this way that lined up, Listen, you, you feel so fortunate now, but you could be pissed that I mean you've had you had, did two failed deals basically. Yeah. That you just kept you just kept going back into. I'll say that like there was a moment in time, and I've talked to you about this a little bit, where like I would catch myself not liking a new artist that had like just moved to town and was instantly famous or like wanting to hate a song that blew up overnight and somebody is, you know, it's the first song they've ever put out and it's a number one song. And, and I had to really check myself and be like, Hey man, like, do you really not like that? Or is that coming from a place of like you wishing it was you? 
you know, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to take my path again of, you know, 10 years in a van and trailer and playing empty bars and wondering where the next check's coming from. And like, is this ever going to happen? But now that I'm, and I'm not even all the way on the other side of it, but now that I'm closer to the other side of it, I'm really thankful that that journey was my own because I learned a lot of lessons along the way about myself, about how I want to do business, about how I want to treat other people. And I think it's given me some empathy for people that are just getting started. Um, and, how I want to like be a hand up for the next person that's going through that. And it's taught me how to put on a show and taught me how to write a song. And if I'd have gotten the golden ticket when I moved to Nashville in my early twenties, like I probably wouldn't be a guy that I like, you know, it's given me a chance to like dig in and build roots with my family and like have everything covered at home and internally. And now if God willing, this does scale, I think that maybe hopefully um, I'll be equipped to handle it. Top 20, most likely right now. It's pretty cool. It's crazy. It's crazy to even hear you say it, man. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. That's it. It's. Um, I'm super proud for you. Thank you. Everybody works hard, but you're working really hard. It's working hard and having a good attitude at the same time, which can be tough. Especially when you have two, when you have young kids, which you have to, that's a lot of sacrifice. You're gone. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're not, it's not like you're making a ton of money right now. No. I mean, you're just now starting to get good. You're just now starting to get these good money offers that you don't get to even play for six months. It's within the last six months that yeah. this has started happening. And it's, uh, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. I won't lie to you. It's it, like, it's, it, yep. it's surreal right and now. Things get yeah. easier. Still not easy, but things get easier because people treat you different. Yeah. Food's a little better. It is. Bus instead of a van, you know, it's just, it's all of that, but you deserve it, man. I'm super pumped for you. So the album is mind on you. That's out. Obviously the song is doing great right now. You're just a likable dude. I can't wait to tell Eddie all the stuff I learned about you. <laughs> Eddie, you have no idea, buddy. <laughs> Did you know George, his parents didn't speak English. They were Portuguese. No. It, no. Yeah. And he knows, yes, his parents, he looks like a regular white dude. (laughs) His parents were immigrants, both of them. Wow. And so he's, yeah, it's a whole thing. He's got, that's why we're friends. Well, he's also, he's got two penises. What? (laughs) One in front, one in back. They weren't originally. (laughs) Um, You guys follow at George Burge. On Instagram, oh, you have a different name on TikTok, dude. What's up? It's like George Burge official. Something I know, like but that. there was already is there an unofficial. Burge. Yeah, there was already. It was a weird, weird guy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say that uh, George Burge unofficial. Whoever you are, you don't yeah, think yeah. you're weird at all. I think you should not sue me. All right, there he is. <laughs> sue me. It's cool. I don't have anything. <laughs> you got nothing. Uh, George Burge, George, dude. It's been awesome. We just did an hour. Thank you so much for having me, man. Dang. It's always fun catching up and. Uh, you reminded me of stuff I hadn't thought of in forever. So he didn't, George didn't even know me, he knew man. Portuguese, Eddie. Yeah. He was like, I know Portuguese? <laughs> All right, there he is, George Burge. You guys go follow him. Um, he's out on the road. His song is killing it. And that's what's up. Thanks. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tecovis store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovis.com. 
T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one listen to a really good cry with radhi devlukia on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts